Hey, training professionals, this is Mark, your host. Thank you so much. It's lovely to have your company again. Thank you for stopping by. Last week, we focused on five tips on the subject of cold calling or telephone prospecting. So guess what? Yes, today we're going to focus on the next five tips on that same subject. This is episode 16. You're very welcome. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, trainers. Thanks once again for your time today. There are many fantastic podcasts out there. I know because I listen to them too. But you've chosen to spend your time today listening to this episode of this podcast And for that, I am very, very grateful. Now, I thought we'd do something different today. So before we begin, I'd like to share with you some feedback which I've received from the community. Every week I get some email, sometimes some comments on different social media platforms. But what's really helpful for me is to understand from listeners like you what is helping you and how it's helping you and why. So this is feedback which I'm going to read to you now from just one of my listeners, and her name is Mary. And Mary writes, Hi Mark, I'm writing to thank you for the wonderful resource you have created. I'm a secondary school teacher or second level or high school teacher, and am currently doing a professional practice certificate in training and development. I found the podcasts to be invaluable to me, teaching me about the world of training and also showing how the material I'm learning about is used in practice. As someone who has a background in education, I'm trying to find my niche in the training market. Thanks to your podcast, I believe I have some guidance as to how to go about it. Keep up the good work. Mary, thank you so much. You you wouldn't believe how, how chuffed I am, how thrilled I am to hear feedback like this, because it really confirms to me that I'm serving people, and that's what I'm all about. I love talking to trainers, love talking about training. So if there are questions you have, comments you have, advice you have, the things that you'd like to talk about or like me to talk about to you, uh, I'd love to hear that. I really want to make sure that this podcast is working for you, that the episodes are delivering value to you, because this tells me what you want to know more about and why, and also helps me to know what kinds of guests to have on future episodes of the podcast. Now, on the subject of that, very briefly, um, I have begun a series of training business coaching sessions with uh, one of my listeners, and uh, I'll be talking to you about that in a future episode. So again, that's something coming up. Uh, It was his suggestion, actually, and I think it's a fantastic idea to talk through some of the business challenges and business decisions he has to make, and we'll talk about that in future episodes of the podcast. Uh, Specifically on last week's episode, uh, a comment I received on LinkedIn came from someone called Derek. And if you, I don't want to read out his last name, but if you want to read or find out his last name, you can look at the uh, podcast um, post on LinkedIn for episode 15, and you can read the comments in the post section of the LinkedIn post. Anyway, this is from Derek, and Derek uh, gave me some thinking, some thoughts, some advice about how to make one of the tips I gave you last week even better. And the reason I mentioned Derek's comment is because Derek is a learning and development manager with a specific bank. 
And what he's doing is he is writing to me to tell me that as a someone who buys training services, in other words, he's someone who makes decisions about which training providers to go with. He says, I get these kinds of calls all the time. And a lot of the time, trainers hoping to do business with me start off talking about themselves great point. And that's the thing I mentioned last week as well. We need to talk about value from the perspective of the potential buyer. So what Derek suggested is that you could begin a conversation with him, for example, as follows. I'm going to read out now what he wrote as if you are speaking to him. Hi, Derek. I can see from your company's last few posts on LinkedIn and the awards you've won that XYZ is important to you right now. I'd love to take a moment to share a thought I had about increasing, decreasing, achieving, simplifying, whatever the the word is, X, Y, Z, whatever that thing is that you're hoping to talk to him about. Derek, if you have a few minutes now, I'd love to give you the headlines so you can decide whether it would be good to explore this further. So to paraphrase Derek, as someone who buys training services and has conversations with trainers more or less every week, people calling him up, looking to train his internal customers. It's really important that we think about, as trainers, how we can add value even on the first call. So Derek's providing us with a great tip here. So trainers, think of the ways that you can actually provide some value, not the promise of some value. You may want to use the first call just to give an example of the thinking that marries or matches what you can do with what they need. So give an example of that. Give it away on the first call, and that may well convince someone like Derek or a learning and development manager that a face-to-face meeting with you makes sense from their perspective. And that's an excellent piece of advice. Many, many thanks for that, Derek. If you feel, by the way, this is Mark talking now, if you feel that the prospect has time, you may also want to ask some qualifying questions just to make sure that although the meeting's valuable from their perspective, is it an opportunity which is valuable potentially from your perspective? So some of you as training business owners may feel that it's only worthwhile working with particular organizations if they have, you know, X budget or X amount of business internally. And as Derek's pointing out, you may not get all that information on the first call. It may be something you only find out when you meet that person face-to-face. But I talked about a model called BANT, which will guide you in asking the right questions so that you can carefully screen out people who are not right for your training business early on in the sales process. So please, I love comments like this. Thank you, Derek, for your advice. Mary, thank you for writing in. Please continue to post on LinkedIn and to email me directly. I always get back to you myself. I write the email replies personally, and I will be expanding social media channels in the new year, in 2019. If you're listening to this podcast in the future, uh, this has been recorded in November 2018. So today, we're going to focus on five more tips which you can refer to to help you when cold calling or telephone prospecting. And those tips are as follows. I'm going to name them first of all, and then we'll go into them individually. Is that okay? First of all, structure your day. Number two, 
work with gatekeepers. Number three, keep going. Number four, know your value. Number five, reward yourself. So we're going to go through each of those individually, and we'll start with the first one, structure your day. As someone who is calling to generate leads, to generate business for your training business, you need to be aware of two things. First of all, the best time to get through. Now, it's very hard for me to say to you what is the best time to get through to anyone because there are things you cannot possibly know. You have no idea when someone is available. Um, You've no idea what they're doing. Um, So the best time to get through is something that you'll learn through practice. As a rule, just to give you some guidelines, I find that I get through to many decision makers in my training business on a Tuesday late morning. The reason I don't always do most of my calling, but I do do some calling on a Monday, is because very often, if you think about this, if you're trying to get through to, say, managers, very often the time they find themselves in meetings is usually a Monday morning. But as I'll talk to you about in another tip shortly, that should never be the basis for an excuse not to lift the phone and try and get through. There are always exceptions and there are no rules about when to call. You will find out when is the best time to get through to decision makers for you. Typically, for obvious reasons, people aren't always there, um, say in the public sector, maybe after three or four o'clock on a Friday, depending on the country you're in. Um, In uh, other jurisdictions or countries, it could be different. This is my experience talking now. And I often find that um, I will not get through to many people in the private sector round about the same time, sometimes a bit later on a Friday. That said, I have, when I was hardcore sales, uh, just purely sales focused, not training focused in the past, as a business development executive and then business development manager, I often encouraged myself and my team to often try outside the framework and often call people early on. So for example, if you're calling someone in IT, management of IT, sometimes you find they're in the server room or early in the office because IT is such a fundamental part of an organization's infrastructure. So often, in my experience at least, people in IT were often early in the office and often left early in the afternoon. But again, to reiterate, you will find the best time that works for your training business. The second consideration when it comes to your uh, time to call is your energy levels. Because, you know, as a trainer, you're training, you're delivering, you're designing, you could be doing this, doing that, you could be traveling. So you want to structure your day around, and your week, by the way, around the times when you're feeling energetic and focused. You're not tired. So you will again know what days of the week, what times of the week that suits you. So you're really looking for a match between those two things. On the one hand, the time that gets through to people who are decision makers or key people you need to speak to, to get business decisions made. And secondly, you need to also align that with times of the week when your energy and your focus and your confidence is peak. Rob Moore in his book, which is one of the books I'm reading right now, Rob Moore, by the way, is a fantastic podcaster called, well, Rob Moore, but his podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. A really straight-talking guy, has written some fantastic books. And one of the books he's written 
Um, I'm actually reading three at the moment in tandem. Um, I shouldn't really, but I'm, I'm reading three for different reasons. Um, one of the books is called Start Now, Get Perfect Later. And he talks about the concept of IGAs. In other words, income generating activities. So that's another consideration. When you're structuring your day and your training week, you and I as trainers need to really ensure that we schedule our income generating activities first and that we do everything else, administration, etc., around those activities. Does that make sense? I can see you nodding. It does. In other words, if cold calling is a part of your business that generates income, then you schedule that first and secondary things like email take a second or a third place. Does that make sense? Because to my mind, email is something which is a huge time suck. I'm really all the time finding excuses or ways not to email people when I can meet them face-to-face or lift the phone and dial and get the answer I want really quickly. So be really conscious of your IGAs. What is the time that you need to spend on these things? Schedule that first. And then around that, you'll want to schedule other things of secondary or tertiary, in other words, third-level importance. Okay. On the same subject of structuring your day, How much time do you need to spend cold calling? Great question. I would, if you're new to this, start with maybe two periods a week of maybe 60 minutes or 30 minutes. Start the clock and stick to that. Don't, don't, um, you know, go away from that. If you say 60 minutes, you must stick to that and you must do nothing else in that 60 minute period or 30 minute period except cold calling. I'll tell you why in a moment. If you start off with two call blocks a week or one call block a week, depending on what's priority for you, and stick to that, you'll be able to confidently start to track whether and how much results you're getting, how how much results or how many results and whether you are getting results. So start with that and your call block time, your call block time is golden. When you're calling, you're doing nothing else but calling. I'll say that again. When you're calling, you're doing nothing else with by, but, but calling. You're not checking email, not Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, Snapchat. You're not on eBay buying that rubber thingy-me-jig for the corner of your room looking at cushions or curtains. You're doing nothing else but that. You're not speaking to anyone. You're doing nothing but calling. You're not in a meeting. You're doing nothing but calling. Do you understand? You're doing nothing but that thing that you've scheduled for that period. If you start multitasking, it's not going to work. And the reason I'm raising this point is because I was as a telephone sales trainer and, and coach, which is what one of the things I do in my training business, I work with financial institutions and insurance companies specifically in this area, is I observe, I go into on the floors of contact centers or banks or insurance companies and I watch what people are doing. And I'm reminded of a time this year when twice I was asked to shadow salespeople on the phones, just observe, listen to what they're doing, how they're making calls, and then decide what training interventions are required, are relevant, and what outcomes and behaviors I want to change. And what I observed was this. One guy in particular comes to mind, and he spent one minute, 51 seconds. I timed him speaking to a prospect and then spent the next 13 minutes and 15 seconds writing an email to that prospect and then putting information into the company 
CRM or customer relationship management system. And this, by the way, if that term is new to you, is simply the software where you record call uh, touch points or conversations or sales activity with a particular prospect or customer. So this guy was literally spending the minimal amount of time on the phone and then using the call block time to write emails and populate or fill in information in the CRM. Now, this is a recipe for disaster. As I said, and I'll say it again, when you're calling, you're calling. When you're emailing, that's a separate block or separate 30-minute or hour period. If you're multitasking, that's often what causes you and I, at the end of the day, to look back and say, where on earth did my eight hours go? If you do that, you will not be able to track what's working and what's not working because everything will be mixed together. Does that make sense? If you don't believe me, there's a book you should read or could read. It's called The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time. It's by Jeff Sutherland. The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland. I'll include this, by the way, in the show notes to this episode. And Jeff was one of the co-founders of a project management methodology called Scrum. I'll not go into that now. I'm a qualified, uh, uh, what's called a professional Scrum master. And this is one of the the, the things I teach and, and use with clients. But suffice to say, if you read this book, you'll understand why multitasking is actually detrimental to your productivity. Now, coming back practically to how we do this, I have uh, call blocks of 60-minute periods. If I'm particularly busy during the week, I will allow for a 30-minute call block just to squeeze something in. But when I'm doing that, I'm doing nothing but calling in that call block. You could start with uh, two days a week or one day a week, depending on your training schedule. Obviously, if you are doing an IGA, an income-generating activity such as paid work, and by the way, this is basically work for which you're invoiced, or you invoice people. That's what I mean by IGA. It's something which when you do it, you can invoice for. Those things come first. So you kind of shape your call blocks around that at a time when your energy is highest. And of course, you're getting through to decision makers. So start small, track what's working for you, and then move up and scale if you can to more call block time. Don't go all in. Try it out. See what works for you. But what you need to do is to focus. F-O-C-U-S, Follow one course until success. When you're calling, only call. When you're emailing, only email. Do not mix those up, okay? I sound like I'm preaching here. Okay, number two, working with gatekeepers. Um, The reason I'm bringing this point up is because, again, as someone who works with a lot of companies and their teams on the call floor, I'm minded of or reminded of a particular project I did in Connecticut not so long ago where I was working with the uh, outward bound or inside sales team of an investment company. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I was shadowing their agents and I observed how they spent the fractional or minimal amount of time talking to the most important person on the phone and then rushed on to do something else. So who's the most important person on the phone? It's the person who has the power to connect you with the person you need to speak to. I have never liked the expression, get past gatekeeper. And often it's a module on many sales training programs. Um, Think about this. The gatekeeper 
is often at the hub of a company. They're often the people who've been there the longest, not always, but often people who've been there the longest, particularly in the case of small companies. I don't know why, but that often seems to be the case. And I found that again and again in those companies, managers come, managers go, directors come, directors go, but the person at the nexus or the hub or the center of the company is often the person who's the most connected, the person who's of the longest tenure, the person who's been working there the longest, and the person who who has their ear to the ground and knows a lot of what's going on. And guess who that person is? It's often the person working at reception. It's often the person who is the, uh, the secretary, the person who knows things and has the power to put you through or to turn you away. Why is this important? Because sales is a people business. As a trainer, you are selling your programs through people to people. You're in the people business, not the training business. That's worth repeating. You're in the people business, not the training business. And the gatekeeper is a person, and they're called the gatekeeper for a very good reason, because they can open the gate or they can shut you out. So you need to work with them. Get to know them. It doesn't need to be kind of, you know, cynical in any way where you falsely express interest or concern in people's working day. But I've watched and I've encouraged people to get to know the person who is more often than not the person who will answer the phone every single time. If that person feels like you're ignoring them or making them feel small or not getting to remember their name, it's not going to do well for you. Does that make sense? Spend time in a non-cynical way, in a helpful way, getting to know that person. That relationship will pay off. Number three is keep going. Keep going because sales and telephone prospecting or cold calling especially is a numbers game. It's a numbers game. I talked last week in one of my tips in the first episode on this subject, which is episode 15. If you didn't listen to it, you might want to go back and listen to it and just remember the formula I've given you. Sales is a numbers game. And a very simple way to explain this is that think of the rule of thirds. Imagine that all of your sales, 100% of your sales can be drawn as a circle. And that circle is three pieces. We'll call them thirds for argument's sake. So the first 33% are the sales you have because, you know, you have a relationship with the buyer. You know them. You've worked for that company before. You know the people there. People refer you, recommend you readily. People like your work. You've experience in the industry. You're qualified. You've got some what we call unfair competitive advantage, which makes it very hard for other people, other training providers to replace you. That's the first 33%. And you'll often find that, you know, this is easy business. It's low-hanging fruit. It's the kind of business you get year after year after year until, of course, it stops coming your way for all kinds of reasons. The second 33%, well, this is the stuff you'll not get, no matter how hard you try. Now, again, these numbers are very rough. What do I mean? Well, imagine that there are some prospects you'd like to do business with. You'd love to become their training provider for sales or leadership or management. The trouble is they're very happy with the current training provider they have. Let's call this person the incumbent. Uh, In other words, they're very happy with this relationship. They see no reason to change. So you're banging your head against a wall here. 
So you need to recognize the signs when you're not going to make headway. Okay, it may be a different case next year, but if you keep wasting time when you don't recognize that you've no way of getting into this business, you are literally wasting time. There will always be training contracts for which you cannot be considered because A, you're perhaps not experienced enough. B, no one in that company knows you and therefore you've no inside advocates or influencers on your side. Or maybe you don't have some niche or unfair competitive advantage which someone else has. They may be related to someone in that company. They may know one of the directors or owners. And on that basis, you're just not going to dislodge them. That's a fact. But there is light at the end of the tunnel here. The third third, the last 33%, well, that's the stuff that's up for grabs. That's all the business that's out there when companies are changing training providers, but they don't yet know you exist. There are companies out there thinking that, you know, we need this, we have a future need or a current need. I wonder who could help us with this. And this 33% you will only get if you lift the phone and dial, if you go and make contact with people proactively. And many of us don't do this because we have what are called false assumptions. Now, in in thinking this podcast episode through, I came up with an acronym myself. And I, I th- you can use this, you know, I'm not going to trademark this. Maybe someone else in the world has the same idea. But I like false. And false stands for false assumptions let sales escape. False assumptions let sales escape. What often prevents us from keeping going or even starting, is that we're telling ourselves things which are not true. False assumptions let sales escape. For example, it's Monday morning and you think, you know what, now's not the right time. They're all in a meeting or they're on holidays um, or, you know what, it's coming up to Christmas or Hanukkah or it's some other uh, event or it's August and everyone in this part of the world is away. Or, you know what, it's Friday evening, they've all gone home. You have no way of knowing this. So when people ask me, Mark, um, as a trainer, as a training business coach, is there a perfect time to call? I say, no, there isn't. There is never a perfect time to call because if you think about it, there are things you cannot possibly know. You cannot know if someone's in a meeting. You cannot know if someone's on the phone, in the pool, on the beach, in a restaurant. You cannot know if someone actually is uh, really busy or available. You cannot know if they're happy with their training provider or if they're thinking of changing. So be honest with yourself. Until you ask and establish these facts, you cannot know. False assumptions let sales escape. Similarly, there are things you cannot make people do. You can't make people answer the phone. Um, You can't make people say yes to you. You can provide a business case, but you can't make people say yes if it does not genuinely suit them. So for goodness sake, don't give yourself a hard time. Don't beat yourself up if people don't answer the phone. I've often watched team leads in contact centers give their sales agents a hard time because they're not getting through to people. But that's the uncontrollable. You can't control when people are in the office and you cannot control if they lift the phone or not. What you have to do, thinking of last week's episode, is to put in the effort and then track the evidence which is telling you that this particular activity is generating in, uh, outcome. Does that make sense? Only you will know what that recipe is. Now, if you do get through to people, you're going to get lots of no's. Okay, let's be honest. We all get no's as salespeople, but this is not 
a reason or excuse not to keep going. Because no does not mean never, it just means not right now or it means not today. So all you have to do as a salesperson selling your training business, products and services is to seek permission to re-engage. Okay, Jim, I understand. Not a good time. Just so I'm clear on this, when is a good time to circle back or call you back next year so that it's the time when you're sitting down to plan your training budget? When would make sense for you? And what you've just done then is you've created a warm call or an appointment in the future when you can legitimately call back and say, yes, we talked about this last year and you asked me to call back at this time. So again, don't give up. Keep going. No does not mean Never, it just means not today. And the final point on the subject of keeping going is that the most important word in your vocabulary as a salesperson, and I really want you to post this on your notice board, above your desk, near your phone, on your iPhone or your your, your Android phone, or even put it above your computer screen. It's this word, next. It's the most important word in sales because there will always be people who are not the right person for you at this moment in time. But if you keep going, make the next phone call, you will find someone who is delighted to hear from you and you're calling them at the right time. Next, next, next. No, okay, I'll call back onto the next call. Not today, you're currently happy with your provider. Understand, onto the next call. Just keep going. Number four is know your value. And I often find particularly in sales training, uh, that people struggle to clearly articulate the value of their brand, of themselves, of their company. So the way to do this for yourself as a training provider, as a trainer, is to create a mind map. What is a mind map? Well, if you're unclear, and I'll provide some links in the show notes to this podcast episode, you can look up, uh, sorry, look up on Google um, by typing in the words mind map, or the name Tony Bazan, that's T-O-N-Y, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee, T-O-N-Y, Bazan, B-U-Z-A-N, Bravo, Uncle, Zulu, Alpha, November. And Tony Bazan is one of the people who came up with the concept of mind maps, but Tony did, shall we say, the most work in this direction. And my understanding is that he came up with this solo, but you never know. Nonetheless, it's a fantastic tool. All it consists of is a large piece of paper. So I'll use like brown wrapping paper for this and get some coloring pens and pencils and and, and put on some music. And I'll think, I'll dump down on paper all of the the arguments that I have or the, the reasons that someone would find value in what I do. So think of all the experience you have. Think of all the projects you've worked on. Think of all the you know, the outcomes you've generated, and that's key, the results. Can you actually put them into figures? So qualitatively and quantitatively provide evidence for how your training or your expertise, even if you haven't trained before, your expertise, uh, your experience has generated outcome for your employer, if you're employed, or for a client, if you work as a consultant. Get that down on paper. Don't try and uh, write this sequentially, logically, or chronologically. Just put everything down on paper and have fun doing this exercise. And what you'll find is all of a sudden what will emerge from that big, messy, glorious color 
colorful piece of paper is that you'll have ideas. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I worked on that and that was good. And I did this and I turned this around and I saved money here and I did this. And this is really, really valuable because ultimately, you know, with a lot of skill, people can stand up and train people, train adults in a corporate environment. But often what those adults will want to hear is how you actually apply this in your own experience. So please don't underestimate the importance of this. First of all, get everything down on a mind map, and then you can begin part two, which I'll talk about in a moment. So everything down on paper, all the experience, projects, people you've worked with, their job titles, that's really important as well. I've worked with, for example, legal teams, thinking of my experience. I've worked with project managers. Um, I have worked with directors. I've worked in public sector and private sector. So that's really crucial because people want to know that you've worked with someone just like them before. Anyway, more on that in another episode. And the second part of this is now think of what we talked about in episode 15, which is put yourself in the shoes of the customer and think about their needs, their challenges, what's going on in their world, um, where are they losing money, spending money, what's their strategy? And Derek talked about that in his comment. Think about, you know, the things they're working on. Um, they've won awards. Okay, what does that tell you about what what's on their mind, what they're thinking of doing, what they've done? And now go back to the mind map and marry those two things. What experience, value, projects have you worked on that could help them achieve this particular goal, uh, achieve this particular strategy, uh, enable this particular project, or save money, eliminate these problems and fears if they're the ones that match those projects and experience that you have. Do you see what I'm saying here? Basically, marry up the two and see where what you've done actually then helps someone achieve that thing. And what you've done is you've now begun the first part of creating what's called a value statement. So if someone asks you how you can help them, you just can't scramble around in your mind in front of them. You really will have have to have done this exercise of articulating your value by creating this mind map of all the... It's like taking an inventory, isn't it? Taking an idea or inventory of all the experiences and outcomes that you have... And, those, and then matching them carefully to the challenges and goals and strategy of your prospect, and then doing that verbally in an answer. Does that make sense? Those two things are essential. So if someone asks you a question, how can you clearly articulate your value? And one of the things that I find very useful is a model called CSR. What does CSR mean? CSR stands for three words. It's an acronym. C for challenge, S for solution, and R for result. So this tip is called knowing your value. And what CSR does is it allows you to communicate your value to someone in a conversational manner. So you can tell someone about a challenge that someone you worked with had in the past. This is where the mind map will help you to find that. And then think of the solution which you implemented. This is could be your expertise or a training program or consultancy or something. And then finally, the result tells them what outcome you achieve for someone just like them. So CSR, it's a lovely model because it's very simple to remember. If someone's asking you about what you can do for them, maybe tell them about someone just like them, a challenge that someone just like them had, the solution that you did for that person or made for that person, 
and then the result that person got as a result of your services, your expertise. And that's fantastic because it tells someone or confirms to someone that you can do the same for them. And ultimately, this is what people are buying. It's not retrospective, although that's important. It's not what you did for other people. They need to hear you articulate how you can do something future tense for them. Does that make sense? So know your value, be really familiar, confident, and be able to articulate this in the shape of a sales conversation, because you just might get one of these questions in the course of a phone call. And number five, the final tip today, in this series on making cold calling or telephone prospecting work for you is reward yourself. And this is so important. A lot of people, of the people I talk to, I can say confidently, most don't like cold calling and sales. But paradoxically, it's where you will often see a lot of results quickly because so few few people do it or do it properly, it's wide open. Now, I mentioned this in podcast episode 15. Many people are just throwing up videos and live streams and graphics and infographics and memes on social media, and they're not able to confidently say that it's working for them. It's almost generating brand awareness, but not necessarily uh, uh, producing sales. So if you're able to do this confidently and consistently, you should be rewarding yourself because it's hard work. And let's be honest, A lot of the time, cold calling, you know, telephone prospecting can be lonely. If it's just you and your kitchen table or you and your dining room table um, or you have a small office somewhere, you know, it's just you and maybe your computer. So it's hard to know, you know, if it's working. And sometimes you beat yourself up. You give yourself negative self-talk and you put yourself down and you, you just give up. So I mentioned in tip four, or tip three, rather, that you keep going. In tip five, I'd like to say, again, you need to reward yourself. And I'm thinking of a time when I worked um, as a lead generator. I worked for a lead generation company in Philadelphia, and there were roughly 120 agents on the floor. Now, I was subsequently then involved uh, as a business development manager for that company, but I began like everyone else, and we had to make 150 calls a day. 150 calls a day, 150, 150 calls a day, and to get through to people and have those conversations to prospect and qualify them. And then we would sell those leads to organizations like Microsoft, Cisco, and Oracle, and so on and so on. So you need to have a process. You need to also be very confident and you need to enjoy this. How can we do this? Well, first of all, Be careful of negative associations. If you associate the room, the dining room, the kitchen table, or wherever it is that you're doing this work with a negative activity, guess what? You will avoid that physical location. So it's really important that you gamify and that you enjoy your cold calling and that you do it in a way that rewards you for putting in the effort. Does that make sense? I can see you nodding. I know. You know I'm talking about the truth here. If you have negative associations about the activity or the location in which you perform that activity, your brain will create every single excuse not to perform that activity. So here are a couple of ideas that you can do to make this work for you. First of all, I want you to set up some small milestones. Just create a first small goal of calling 10 people. 
just 10 people, okay? When you achieve that, I want you, B, to create an emotional trigger. Create an emotional trigger. And when you reach that milestone of 10 calls or 20 calls, or however many number of calls that is right for you, I want you to go make yourself a cup of your favorite coffee or, you know, do something like check your Facebook uh, outside of your calling hours. In other words, set up a reward which links the activity of cold calling with a positive outcome for you emotionally. So some of the things I do is, for example, I'll have a cold calling volume or target for a particular time of the week or a week in its entirety. And when I achieve that goal, I might, for example, go get a massage or I might go to the Turkish barber locally, have a shave and a haircut. You know, whatever it is for you, you don't have to tell other people, I just did, or justify what that thing is for you. Other things which have done something for me is, uh, I will not buy a particular book uh, by one of my favorite uh, business authors or training authors until I reach a particular target. And then sometimes I will buy that book. I will not open that book, but I'll leave it by my bedside until I hit that particular goal, and then I allow myself to open it. So it's really visible, really conscious. I'm aware it's there. But until I earn the right to read that book, I will not read that book. So whatever it is for you, whatever that emotional trigger is, it is for you, activate that. Small emotional triggers you can use could be dancing. Um, I will, first thing in the morning, uh, particularly on a dark wintry morning, when the last thing I might want to do is start calling people, is I will put on a very bright light. Um, I will play some fantastic music on Spotify. I really freak out and enjoy myself because that creates an emotional trigger or an association between the cold calling activity or emailing activity, whichever it may be, and a positive activity. So begin to create those emotional triggers and you will find they actually help you to look forward to doing something like cold calling. And also create kickers. What this means is this, um, if you have uh, ever experienced or work with professional salespeople, those professional salespeople are always incentivized. In other words, they have a bonus to achieve a particular uh, target. And then clever sales management create kickers. And what that means is that if that salesperson achieves a particular goal, uh, the sales manager will kick in uh, an extra bonus to keep that salesperson and their energy going. In other words, the last thing you want when selling is to take your foot off the pedal and say, okay, I've achieved my goal. I'm done. That's it. Fine. Let's put the phone down you want to find a way to go on to the next goal and the next goal. So that means that, let's say you reach a particular milestone for that week or that month, give yourself a really big reward. Uh, Go for a meal with your loved one. Uh, Go see uh, a show. You know, buy yourself a flight to a local city. Depending on the goal, you'll know what those kickers are for you. But have fun with this. Use a vision board and tell yourself, when I get this, I'm going to get this. When I get this, I will earn this. I will have the right to do this. I'm going to start planning this holiday and really gamify this. And you'll find that emotions come into it and you'll sound more confident on the phone because you're really linking your activity to what you want. And the last thing I'll tell you about rewarding yourself is this. Celebrate the nose. Now, this sounds weird. It does work. And I've seen people use this to great effect. Celebrate the nose. You're going to get lots of nose, but you need nose on the journey towards the yes. So if you get nose, 
Woohoo! Fantastic. Imagine Homer Simpson. Imagine Homer Simpson, you know, cheering, putting his hand in the air. Celebrate the no's and say, I got another no. Great. On to the next call. Another no. Fantastic. On to the next call. It's reverse psychology. Now, I'm not suggesting that you put your hand up on the office and scream and shout like Homer Simpson. Uh, Woohoo! I'm saying that you, you do it inwardly, or if you're on your own, do it outwardly. But link the no's to so what? It's a no. I've made the effort. Well done, Mark, John, Lucy, Sally, uh, Aya, whatever your name is. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. When you get those no's, celebrate them. And whatever you do, any promises you make in the form of milestones or kickers, you must keep them. I've seen salespeople set the system up and then let themselves off the hook. If you hired a professional salesperson, would you promise them a bonus and take it away? Would you? I don't think so. You could, but then you'd watch those salespeople take nothing you ever said again seriously. You'd lose salespeople. Keep that promise to yourself. If you promise yourself something, keep it. If you promise yourself a ticket, an Amazon voucher, a meal, whatever that is, keep your word. If you break your word, it's like breaking your bond. Your subconscious mind will not take your conscious mind seriously anymore. You really want to ensure that you keep your word, reward yourself. Believe me, if you're achieving your cold calling, telephone prospecting targets, you deserve it. And you have my full permission to give yourself that reward, okay? Now, in a future episode, we'll be talking to trainers and understanding what they do to keep going, how they structure their day, how they articulate their value, and all those tips and tricks will form, well, not tricks, but tips and techniques will form the basis of a future episode. So that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into this podcast episode and to listen to episode 16 of the HiredTrainer.com podcast. I'd love you to continue to listen to the show, so please subscribe to the show, and you can listen to the episodes on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iTunes, and of course, I will email those episodes and information about the episodes in future episodes uh, on LinkedIn and so on. Please, please, please leave a rating on iTunes and share this with other trainers. If this is genuinely helping you, I'd love to know I'd love to hear from you, but I'd also love to know what you think is valuable, helping you, and you'd like to know more about in future episodes of the show, because this helps me to attract the right guests, the kinds of people that you genuinely want to hear from. And believe me, there are thousands of people out there like you, uh, further ahead than you, not as far as you. We're in a community. Let's share the knowledge. So let's get the right people in the program. Please let me know who those kinds of people are, and I will do my very, very best to put them on front of you. Next week, we're back with another interview with another guest. I will not say who that is for now. You'll just have to tune in and find out who that is. Thanks again for your time. Take care. Bye-bye. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.